uh, the team picked itself. We're uh, we're really happy with it. We, for obvious reasons, we need to make sure we've got plenty of cover when we head to New Zealand. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, Archie, Leo and Toby here for another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. And a lot to talk about. Rugby, Super Rugby AU, qualifying final on the weekend. A great matchup there with one victorious team and one Victorian team. And even more to talk about, we've got the Wallabies squad. Our first glimpse into the eyes of what Dave Rennie sees for the future of these men in gold. And some worrying and... Questionable calls, some interesting calls, and some unfortunate exclusions, I think. But boys, starting off with this qualifying final, we had the Rebels and the Reds up there at Suncorp. We all tipped the Reds, and in the end, they did it. But the the Rebels didn't die um, wondering, though. Yeah, the Rebels started red hot, chucking it right out to the edges wildly every every single phase, it seemed. They were trying to outflank and, and just keep the possession away from the Reds, and they tell you what, that first 20 minutes was a real shake-up for the Reds. I think they did well to to stay in the game mentally after what must have been a, a massive shock, considering how much tape and, and pre-work they do for these matches and what they expect, to have something completely different come out and surprise them as mm-hmm. a massive last gap for the for the Rebels. That you know, that that's the sort of thing that could really shake a side and, and I think they did really well to keep their heads. Yeah, I think that's probably the difference. If you look at a team like the Reds from last year, I think they maybe would have panicked a little and with that inexperience. But Thorny's really got them playing to their systems well. They they trust the people around them. There's, you know, they have a lot of faith in the personnel they have, and they just continue to press. And you know, they got back on the right track there. And I think a lot more kicking than I expected in this game. Um, you know, some of those kicking duels went forever. It felt, but. Look, there was still some interesting and exciting rugby as well, and I think certain players stood out. James O'Connor, again, I think was very good. Um, I think the Rebels probably suffered after those unfortunate injuries at halftime, around halftime. Um, but, yeah, look, the, the right result happened here. The Reds got through to the final, and this is the final we want to see. Yeah, and the, you're right, some worrying injuries on both sides, really, and some people that are going to be... Well, they're going to play a big role either for the Wallabies or for in the finals next week. We had a string of groin injuries between Tamua and Dane Hallett Petty um, and Chris Folway Satia on the red side. And then Patea going off with what looked like he'd hurt his shoulder early, but then was um, sort of an HIA and ruled out with a potential concussion. Um, so some some worrying signs both for the Reds next week and for the Wallabies. Yeah, it's, I mean, there are certain worries there. I think Patea, I did see him, I think, hit his head on the turf maybe and they took a while to pick up that concussion. So I think he'll be fine. Um, in my opinion, I think, you know, DHP still, maybe that knee injury is probably lingering a bit and maybe he's picked up a slight groin tweak as well. But he looks a little bit slower than usual in terms of his pacing. He's never the quickest guy 
Um, but I think it's hampering his power a bit as well. So, yeah, look, a few worries, but I think as many upsides here as well with, with the, the performances of guys like Filippo Dangunu, um, who's a real... Um, he's been quite a late bolter for the Wallabies. He's in contention, I think, for a starting wing spot now, which we wouldn't have said a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so overall, I think that, look, the Rebels, if they kept AHP and, and Tamur in the game, I think this would have ended up being a lot closer than it was. 12-point deficit in the end. Um, we were picking similar margins here, so I think it played out the way we thought it in some some ways, but it was a, a different game um, to maybe what we expected, but the result, I think we all thought the Reds were the better team, and mm. I think they showed that here. Yeah, I expected the Reds to be strong from the outset and just kind of play at play to that margin, like just keep keep the Rebels out of touch, but not not give away too much, not not have to sort of exert themselves too much because they know what they're going to get when they face the Brumbies in Canberra. They need absolutely every player in in the best condition they can possibly get them through this game, and so it's unfortunate with the injuries they've they've suffered. I, I am still worried that. The Reds just will be depleted. Who are you mostly worried about, though? Potato. They're centres again. But Paisami's okay. Stewart seems to get sort of nicked up every um, week, but he's playing. Misses every other game. So I think that's that's unfortunate. If if they have to shuffle from O'Connor at 10, if they they were desperate and had to put Hegarty in to start and O'Connor to 12, just to... Just to fill the gap, I guess. With Hamish... I think they've got quite they've got quite a few options at thirteen, though. Tell you what was interesting in this um, with with Patea going off, um, they put on Moses Sorovi, who ended up switching out to a wing. Even though you still have Bryce Hegarty on the bench, what do you think the feeling was behind that? I thought that they might put on Sorovi because they've obviously played. Dermot on the wing um, towards the end of game. Well, they they, they... interchange them, don't they? Like they both are capable of covering wing just because of their pace and you know their ball in hand is excellent as well. I thought that I was interesting considering than, considering that they're putting him on the wing next uh, up against Marika Korobiti as well. Yeah, it's an interesting move. I think, and you saw Hegarty come on and make that pass to put um, Taniella into space. I think. Yeah. Like. Hegarty's still, we used, we were rating him earlier in the year, and I think last year even he was performing pretty consistently. I just I think it's a it's more of an up tempo maybe game that the Reds want to play still, and I'm not sure that maybe Hegarty fits into that. He's more of a stable force at the back, um, mm. and I don't think I think he's a bit slow off the mark to be a winger. I think that he'd struggle against guys matching up against guys like Korobiti, so. Fair and enough. see why maybe they, they went for some live wires on the wing, even though they're undersized compared to mm. to Korobiti in Sarovi and Tate McDermott. They've just, they're very aggressive in the way that they play and they've got great acceleration, great pace. So I think just that was probably a matchup mm. more than anything. We saw the scrum get targeted a little bit in the media before this game. We talked about it as some clever tactics. Um, a little bit back and forth to start with, a couple penalties again going against the Reds. I did notice that when they put on um, JP Smith at the end of the game, that shores up that scrum and makes it a very powerful sort of dominant thing. Do you think it might be worth starting him against a Brumbies pack to to probably get some dominance in that sort of set piece early? 
even if he's not he quite the most. It. Yeah, even if he's not quite as mobile and active around the the field as Hooper. Maybe I, I actually don't think Hooper's that that much worse. But I guess the risk is that if your scrum is perceived as weaker or um, you know doing some sort of sneaky front row tactics and infringing, you don't want to get that. Uh, reputation in the first 10-15 of the game. be nice just to not drop the ball and just not have any scrums. I, I don't think the Reds sort of plan to um, to sort of set themselves up for the, the you know best scrummaging. I think they're looking to play play the ball and chuck it around like they have been, be quite aggressive in attack and I think that's probably a priority. So if Hoopit lends him um, skill set lends itself to that style of play, then I reckon they'd stick with him. I think JP's super experienced and because he played with some of the Brumbies boys, maybe there is a slight edge that he knows their game so well. But I think you lose more around the field and I just mm. think that goes against the way the Reds should be looking to play against the Brumbies. I don't think you want to play tight against the Brumbies. I think you want to run them around a little bit and, you know, Brumbies playing tight in their forwards is kind of their own game. You don't want to try and beat them at their own game. I think the Reds play a bit more expansive and their their forwards their bigger forwards even are a bit more dynamic than the brumbies mm. um i mean it's close like you can see how co alatoa slipper they're still pretty dynamic around the field but i think if you look at taniella and hooper they're even more so yeah and absolutely. it's not quintessential you know looking prop either he's more of a rangy tall prop um with a great skill set in terms of ball in hand. So, I don't know. I, I think if there's early problems, maybe bring JP on early. I'm not sure you start with him. I think you always get a bit of a scrum reset when your front row changes anyway. So, if it's becoming that much of a problem, if there's a lot of drop ball and there's a lot of scrums or even from penalties, the Brumbies are choosing to go scrum as opposed to kicking for the corner, which they frequently do, um, you know, that's what might suggest... That's worthwhile, but again, I, I think penalties are going to go to the edges. Brumbies are going to try and maul it. Um, you know, handling errors for these two sides when they're playing in good conditions and in good forms, not so much of an issue. So I, I don't expect to be sort of seeing a whole lot of scrums this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, like Taniella especially seems to be finding um, his place like out wide as a bit of a dynamic playmaker setting up another try in this game um, and having some good sort of tackle bursts through. Between sort of him and people like Dalguni, they're really showing some flashes and a flair for sort of offloading and keeping the ball going, um, which really seems to be helping them sort of gain momentum when they actually do get the possession that sometimes they do seem to get starved of. And it's a huge thing that these guys are going 80 minutes as well. Like... Taniella is regularly playing out the game or right to the very death. And the second rowers are doing the same. Most of the back rowers doing the same. Like, fitness is certainly a big part of the Reds game. Um, you know, knowing that you can play 80 minutes and then maybe, you know, also that there's someone in reserve there if if, if you do tire. Like, you can just keep giving it everything. Um, and that's that's really what the Reds are capable of now. That's, that's what's going to get them... Um, you know, matching and, and exceeding the Brumbies is that those guys playing at their at their best can give it their best for 80 minutes. They're not going to tire and, and soften up in the last 20. It's been a very stable team as well. We're talking about a change that we could make in terms of Hubert, but 
the rest of the forward pack you wouldn't touch, would you? And it's no. been the same. You know, there's barely been a change. Maybe the odd change in the back row. Fangus Scott Young comes in, but overall, Reds have been as settled as any team in in Super Rugby AU, and I think that's really benefited them. So, do you see any other changes? I mean, it sounds like Fowlway Sortier will probably miss the next one. Um, so you'll have to bring someone else in at wing, whether it's Patea recovers and you pull him back to wing with Paisami in at 13? Or would you mm, guys want to keep It's an option. Patea? I kind of like Patea further in, even though I think he's a great wing option too. I'm not sure I trust Paisami as much in the midfield. I know he's just been selected in the Wallabies squad, but I'm still not quite sold on him. Um, I wouldn't be touching Jock at 15. I think it's... I think he's perfect back there. I don't yeah. want to see Hegarty at 15 and Jock on the wing. So 13 might be an area where you can move around. I mean, hopefully Patea's fit. But if you're missing wing and 13, I mean, you've seen them cover that before with Josh Fluke or, um, you know, there's various guys that the wingers slash 13s that can come in, Mitch Hardy. Um, but it's not going to be his strongest lineup. You'd imagine, though, that if, if there's any doubt over Patea, they're going to play Pasami at 13. Um, and then they're just going to have to find whoever's best on that wing. But, yeah, I think overall the Reds should be pretty well poised for this final. Um, it's, there's just a few doubts there, but I don't think it's going to derail them too much. I think the Brumbies, even though they've had two weeks, there is still that mental edge maybe that the Reds have over them from the last game. So I think that's, that's a positive at least. And we finish up the Rebels season, obviously. We talked about last week that we were unclear whether, um, depending on what sort of performance the Rebels have, it might mean the end of the tenure of um, Wessels down at Melbourne. Uh, what do you think is the final sort of thought of this season? I mean, there's a Rebels team that did make the finals. They, I mean, you can argue whether they came close or not, unable to sort of convert without despite large amounts of possession territory in that first sort of quarter of the game. But a competitive showing overall, is this Look, I think stay on the same course for next season or do they need a change? I think that these guys need some sort of refreshment. It's not just Mad Monday refreshment. Like, Dave Wessels didn't bring anything new this season until possibly this last game. And... What what they what they brought in the first twenty thirty minutes of this game was you know excellent in comparison to most of what they did with their season, um, and you know maybe maybe he gets a bit of a, a a get out of jail card from the injuries that they suffered has maybe softened them up and they've been un, unable to fulfil that and and potentially reach the final. I I honestly think the Reds were going to come through and and get the win regardless, but. It depends how much weight they they put on that, whether it's an excuse or not. Um, but I honestly think they haven't done a whole lot this year against you know no one expected the force to beat anyone when they challenged teams. People were impressed, but I don't think anyone really ever expected those games to fall the other way. So really, the Rebels have gone out and they've had a draw with the Reds. They've what did they they beat the Waratahs. Um, who were also in this rebuilding phase and were sort of hot and cold and only really been that exceptional. So I guess in summary, that that to me says Wessels hasn't really developed this team that much further this year. He's brought in some new names. I like guys like Brad Wilkin. Looks like a you know really 
a, so- yeah. a solid player who who should have got more minutes. Um, Richard Harwick is cooked and just needs to. I'm get gonna off. hold you up there. Richard Harwick in the last two weeks has actually played quite well, and he He's was been everywhere on the weekend, and he was getting turnovers. He was, and no, you may you're, not you're say right. that he was doing it with full like holding his own body weight up, and maybe that's yeah. not going to hold up. But he was doing it, and he was getting away with it under the ref's discretion. So, so two weeks ago, he'd had one turnover, and the last two weeks, I think he's picked up a couple in each game. But he's yeah. still relying no, on grabbing the player's body, and, and he's been getting more calls than I think he deserves. But he he honestly doesn't add that much in this team. You've got a guy like Wilkin, who you saw, uh, in attack, but he was playing six. They were both on the tackled. field. He wasn't holding Wilkin off. No, no, no. In, in this game, he, he he wasn't. But in previous games, Wilkin's been the sub off the bench. And like like I was saying, Wilkin, work rate and, and effort and precision in, in what he's doing, to me, is superior to Richard Hardwick. And the example I was going to cite was that he, he, he made the pass at offload for one of the Rebels' attacks, and he was immediately back up on his feet after being tackled. And mm-hmm. made the clear out that kept the kept the attack going, like that's that's the sort of thing where someone just loosely comes in from the side and wrecks the attack, and you know this guy's putting in efforts like that throughout the game. I think he deserved more time in this season. So, yeah, I I, I give this team a you know a bare pass, and I just don't think I don't think Wessels is is. Uh, should it should have been expected to only get a bare pass with all the assets he's got. He should have been able to do more, and I think a bear pass doesn't pass for him. I think the team was better last year. That's the thing. I think personnel peaked last year or two years ago, and now slightly worse team, but you got some younger guys coming through, which is helping a little bit, some guys emerging. But I'm not too worried about the back line here. It's just more the, the makeup of the forward pack, and I think some of the selections have been a little bit inconsistent on his part. Shifting guys around in the back line, I think, doesn't help for continuity. And that's the problem when you have, you know, your midfield changes quite often. You have Reese Hodge shifting in and out of every position. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't allow combinations to be properly formed. And that's been a problem with Tamur as well, shifting in from 10 to 12. It's never been fully settled there. And I think if you took Tamur out of that team, they'd be pretty shambolic. I think he's probably held them together quite a lot um, and directed around the field, like really managed the game well for the Rebels overall. And I don't often have a lot of good things to say about Tamua as a 10, but I do think their season would have looked far different if he hadn't been on the roster. If they were just... I don't even know who they would have used at 10. I guess they would have just Deegan. used um, Deegan full-time. But look, I think they would have been far worse than the Waratahs. I don't think they would have ever made the final. So there's certain signings there that are top players. I think Tamura is still a top player. Hodge is a top player. Nice is a top player despite missing out on the Wallabies this time around. But apart from that, who else are you really naming as a, a top player for the Rebels, a top player in terms of Wallabies' credentials? Maybe DHP, although he's really kind of on the latter half of his career here internationally, I don't, it's hard to see where the talent is coming from. And they've shored up the front row a little bit, but there's a lot of questions, I think, still to be answered by Vessels. And maybe that will be done next year. 
I think this is his very last chance. I, I don't think he'll be let go based on this, you know, the finish up to the season. I think it's it's been passable, but it's going to be a lot of pressure on him next year. And I think that's part of the problem. He feels the pressure, and I think that impacts him quite a lot. So I don't expect things to change too much next year in terms of their fortunes. I don't think they they're going to improve markedly. I think it's going to be a similar story if they keep him on. You mentioned it just before. We did get this Wallabies squad coming out. Um, just first thoughts on reading it. What were your immediate reactions to seeing this squad? 44-man squad, so bigger than we're normally used to. So there's going to be a huge amount of width and depth um, in this and some names obviously there to just get more experience and may not be there for game time. But first reactions, boys. I think first reaction for me was just Nicerani should be there. And, you know, there are, there are plenty of reasons why he may not be there. And he's he's had a, he's been limited a little bit in his game time for the Rebels. He hasn't been in every game. So that may play into it in terms of form. But the games I've watched, I think he deserves to be in, in the makeup of that Wallabies back row. Whether he's starting or not is another question. Um... I think Rennie's made a mistake with that one. TK as well, a little bit for me, because he's a personal favourite of mine. But, you know, he's a bit of an older guy and, and perhaps they're looking to make a change and really c- cement Patea there in the midfield. But those were the two that stood out for me. Um, it is a big squad, though. So, you know, you don't know quite what it's going to look like when they when they narrow it down further. I, th- I don't know if... There's a like you say. There's a, a few reasons why Nicerani might have been left out. Like we we certainly didn't see anything that that concerned us. So from the from the casual fan and and observer spectator, he was he was involved in games, running the ball well, putting big hits on his opposite number eights. You know that felt like a real individual on you know one on one contest. So sort of stamping his authority on, uh, particularly in the early game against the Reds. Um, you know, showing Harry Wilson, no, no, I'm the incumbent. I, I'll smash you, and they smashed each other. And you know, he sort of thought, oh yeah, you know, good matchup, good, good to have a couple of solid number eights to pick from. Um, I, I wonder, you know, how much uh, Rennie's been talking to players at at an individual level and and setting expectations and setting uh, sort of goals with them, and perhaps he hasn't met what Rennie asked him to meet which is saying we won't be privy to. But, um, I mean, if that's the case, then you know, can only assume that Rennie's got good reason and, you know, we should be, we should be impressed that he, that he does reach out to the players as individuals. We, we know he's been doing that this season when he's been naming his, um, his sort of early players of national interest type squads and, and communicating with them. Mm. Um, surprisingly, like, for me, is, is when you look at someone like Swinton, or whether Hannigan is a is a second rower or a back rower in this mix, or maybe is a utility. I don't know. Like for Nicerani to miss out to those two guys, to me, is the thing that seems just really unjust. And it actually took me. I was sort of tweeting out a bit of feedback from our perspective on this announcement, and it took me a while to actually realise that Dempsey wasn't there either. And Dempsey is a guy who I think had started really showing that form that he had before his major injury um, and was outshining Swinton and Hannigan uh, or at the very least matching them. 
um, in recent weeks. Yeah. And, and for me, he was a bit of a surprise once I remembered that he that he sort of was, should have been in the mix. Yeah, it's, just, it's a name that we hadn't talked about a lot because of the injuries recently, but maybe needed another game just to really stamp uh, authority and form down for the selectors. And unfortunately, the Waratahs didn't get any extra games this year because they couldn't make the finals. Swinton and... Like, Swinton had a really great start to the Super Rugby AU season. Like, we were noticeably impressed with him. But then I think his form declined a little bit. And at a similar stage, I think Dempsey's picked up. And he Dempsey was outplaying Swinton for the most part. Oh, in the Dempsey last wasn't two starting. Three games. Dempsey was no, coming off the bench in those early games. Yeah, so he was still working, working his, his way, way back, back in the side. But if you replaced, I think I'd feel a lot happier... Hannigan's a makeshift cover at lock, maybe the fifth choice kind of. He's a hybrid. I don't think an international level he's really a lock at all. But you know, if he's they actually get one maybe, centimeter shorter than Swinton. I was just looking up his stats before. He's he's not you know he's not classically a lock either. I know at club level he's played lock. Um, he's been covering well at the Waratahs this year, and he's been good in the lineout. But overall, can't see him as a lock for the Wallabies going forward. If you replaced Hannigan. And um, Swinton with Dempsey and Nicerano, I think the squad just looks far better. Um, that's my personal opinion. But in the same way, I don't think Swinton's undeserving. I think Hannigan's form has, you know, taken an uptick for sure. Whether you probably need to see a little bit more from him, you know, he's not a fan favourite. Hannigan has been criticised heavily in the past. I think Swinton's aggression's probably got him there. Um, but is he an overall better quality player than Nicerani? I don't think so. And I think Nicerani can cover six as much as he can cover eight. So that's a, that's an error of selection, in, in my opinion. But we could be proven wrong here. Like, it's it's going to take some time. And maybe Rennie has a certain idea of how he wants to format that back row. And, and Hannigan has perhaps diversified his game just enough. He's been actually quite active. Uh, in the rucks and creating turnovers, opportunities as well, which is not something you'd expect from him, but he has been probably the most effective in in the Waratahs group. So uh, something like that may have caught Rennie's eye. For, for me, that's not enough. I mean, it's all well and good when you've got a hooker or a second rower who's or a prop who's, who's making these extra pilfers. But to me, you've got to pick your specialists. You've got to look at their fundamentals in their position. They can't just be picking up, you know, slack, and, and extra work from other positions without fulfilling all their own responsibilities as a lock. So it's probably more the line out. Um, you know, if, if he is as a sort of a last last pick six between him and Swinton, um, someone they want to develop and, you know, maybe maybe there's something there as a sixes. Maybe they feel like they've got a lot of specialist more, more eights and they want to try and develop sixes and they don't uh, have a lot of pure sixes to pick from. Strat has so many sixes, <laughs> Not sixes in this squad, they don't. We're, we're well, you look at this squad. We're well blessed with Who's a pure six? Valentini's a pure six. Swinton's yep. a pure six. So that's the second okay, Liam, one. Okay, Liam Wright isn't many. a pure six, but he's going to play six. Pete Summer, I, I, I would other, say Pete Summer's almost more of a six than a seven. But he doesn't play six. He plays at eight. And Thumb Liam is, Wright has Thumb played... Summer's a seven, but he's, he's just... can He's got a little more bulk, so you think, oh yeah, he can play six or eight. He's not an international eight either. He's just so good overall on the field. You just like it's kind of like Hooper. It's like he's not really a seven. It's actually kind of like, like you Pope put Rock. him there playing oh, eight I think instead Samu, of seven. Samu, 
But that was because of Hooper, I think. I think that never would have happened but for Hooper. But Samu, because of his ball-carrying ability, you think, oh, maybe he could cover cover eight. But he, he doesn't really have the size of, say, someone you need like Harry Wilson or Naisarani really punching it up the middle. If you do that to Samu, Samu, you break him. He's he's more savvy than that. He injects himself where needed. But, yeah, it's, he's, I think he's more of a utility back row that you'd bring off the bench. He can I think, cover all three I think the point still stands that, that we don't have. Like, Valentini is a six. All right? Correct. And after that, who is a pure six who only plays Winton. six? Never... Winton is a pure six. Yeah. He's not Which is what I'm saying. Between he and Hannigan, maybe that's the call. I also think Dempsey's a pretty pure six. I don't think he's an eight either, but that's another discussion. Anyway, Arch. I was, like, in the end, I, I can make a perfectly good back row out of the squad in this. So I'm not particularly worried about um, our back row. I think we can create quite a good-looking back row. Nice Arani, yes, no, probably should be, at least in the conversation. He's not... What I'm more worried about is what our second row is going to look like. And I wanted to highlight, we've got Lucan Salakai-Alota, we've got Rob Simmons, Matt Phillip, Trevor Hosea, plus or minus Ned Hattigan, whatever you want to say. <clears throat> I struggled to pick two starting locks from there. Luckily, Lucan's we, in there for sure. Lucan's yeah. the one that I sort of put in there. And then you're like, I don't really want to start any of the other ones with him. First game of the Wallabies That's, versus the All Blacks. He's Lucan's your two below two. For the All Blacks, and then Rob Simmons is your white lock at the moment. That's how it's. That's very, how it's very, very. Poor it's interesting you say that because you talked about two people that missed out, and we talked about uh, Angus Blythe earlier. And when I got asked by a couple of people who I'd compare him with, and it was sort of like that guy that's aggressive, but he's tactically not um, not going to give away penalties for really stupid stuff like getting in fights. And that seemed quite white locky, and that was sort of that Angus Blythe almost things like he's tactically Blythe. skillfully quite good, and he's. I almost see Blythe as a Brody Retallick in the making a little bit. I don't know if he has the same attacking sort of flair that Brody Perhaps. has. I think he's yeah he's maybe he probably needs to develop that. Yeah, but he's that kind of all in. Like he's got the size about him. He plays with a certain intent. Um, and he seems to be in everything. I see him like doing a lot of supporting in terms of, you know, when guys make breaks, he's there, um, which is kind of like Brody. But you're right. I think there is a there's a real problem with depth here at lock. Which which um, brings me to the other sort of thing that got announced last week, and that's a change to our Gitto law. Um, the fact that they are going to open up two spots in the Wallabies squad for international players to come back and join the squad, even without playing any amount of tests or signing a two-year contract for an Australian club. And so there is two spots left open in this squad currently for those two people to join. Where do you guys think they come from and who do you think they are? Adam Coleman um, and Will Skelton. See, I'd, I'd, say Rory, I'd say Rory Arnold. Oh, sorry, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Adam Coleman. I was, was going to say Coleman's the forgotten forgotten man and yeah. i haven't seen him much. i think he's with london irish i haven't seen much of him at all even saying that i haven't i know the premierships just started and i haven't seen much of skeleton so i'm not sure how he's looking in terms yeah, of his sorry, fitness. I, was, I was ruling out coleman and rodder in my head and thinking rory i mean rodder's the obvious one where's isaac rodder get him back in like well, he needs to be signed with someone what, where's the he, where's he? should be signing him mentally where is that he, he like 
he signed some. He signed with um, Montpellier, he's over didn't in he? France. Yeah. Yeah. Has he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He is. See, that's so he's over, that's he's an issue because he'd be getting paid now. He's he's probably not going to come back for two years. Sorry, Leon. He signed with Leon. It's still it's still just wild to me that there's a knock on Angus Blythe. So like after this squad came out, just on my own Instagram, I just sent a few messages to some of the Reds guys who I've been paying close attention to, and it, nicely enough, they they all actually responded. And I just wanted to say to Angus Blythe, you know, I don't know what the knock is, but mate, you know, like we're we can't say enough good things about you in our little circles. Um, and the first thing he did. He started mentioning the other players in his team that he thought were also unlucky. So he mentioned Hamish Stewart, you know, as tireless and, you know, always just gets up after whatever size hit he's just worn. Um, and Jock Campbell, who I hadn't even mm. got to the point of sending a message to. And Jock Campbell, when we start talking about the backs, another very exciting young player who who hasn't hasn't been picked up. And, and I just see he's due for a big Will Jordan-esque breakout next year. Um, you know, he won't be in people's minds if he doesn't make him into the squad later. Um, but that's just like, that's a mentality thing. Angus Blythe already thinking of other people, like accepting accepting the praise, but also, you know, thinking of his other teammates. I think that, like, personality-wise, I've never seen anything out of him that concerned me. And his work rate is up there with everyone else's, I think. He's only just emerged. You have to remember last year he was barely starting and he deserves he it. I, I, I don't disagree with you. Rodder and Harry Hopkins left. And that's I don't disagree. He's done everything perfectly. But it's just hard when you say Trevor Hosea comes in for five games. That's right. And yeah. forces his way into a squad. Trevor Hosea is an interesting one. He's got the size of Blythe, but with slightly more athleticism. And I think that's why he's been picked. Um, sim- probably similar age, I think, as well. But there was probably only room for one of those guys in some ways. And in my opinion, I would have left Philip out and, and put Blythe in with Jose. I think that's that would have been my four best locks, Lucan. I mean, Simmons is just there as a placeholder at the moment, but there's no one as experienced as him. And I think you do need someone in there, possibly, to just shore the ship if things go wrong. Philip, he's going overseas. I don't think he's outplayed Blythe at all. Yeah. I mean, he probably does deserve a reward. You know, over the years, he's put in some good shifts for the Rebels, and he has seen some Wallabies time, but to be honest, he's 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 gone. Like, just, I think he's he was never really in the top, top three international players. Well, the thing is, he's not going to qualify for selection next year. Um, under yeah, so any of the exemptions, very... and he's not going to be someone you're going to bring back over some of the other locks overseas. So that's right. It makes it very yeah. hard to say that he's worth doing. From my point of yeah, view, I, I only think that he's going to spend one of his um, two international spots on a lock. And I, I agree with you in the fact that you're probably going to get... I'd say Rodder or Skelton would be the two that you'd be looking to bring back. I don't know if you'd bring back... Um, Rory Arnold. Maybe Arnold. <laughs> maybe Arnold. Um, he would almost, depending on Skelton's fitness, Arnold might be number one for me. Yeah, fair. Because he, he was excellent when he was there for the Wallaby, like for the Brumbies particularly even last year. Mm. Um, but yeah, equally, like Skelton has lit the world on fire when he's fit. Like he really dominates. So imagine your, you know, your second row Skelton and, and Lucan. 
Like, exactly. Also, right. Rod has got the familiarity with the system from last year, and you've got some continuity there too. With and he Luke. would know Lucan's game too. I, I just, I think they won't reward Rodder just because of I, I can't say what's it, happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Morally, they're just like, well, he was the one of the one guy or one of the three guys that had an issue with his pay cut. So to let him go to France, get paid, and then bring him back for the Wallabies straight away, I think sends the wrong message. Even though it could be the correct call in terms of playing stock. Um, uh, so the one guy I want to touch on, you're probably going to move on to the front row. Um, Ainsley, he signed with the Highlanders. Yeah, that was why, a similar sort of story him? as well. Yeah, he's he's been decent for the Rebels, but I mean, come on, what, what is the point of more, this? He won't be eligible. There seem to be a lot more people up on Cameron Orr's, um He's a Lucy, loose head, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah sorry, not, I think not, he's but, probably the fourth best loose head. When you've got best, like actually. HJH and Ainsley, he's a loose head. Yeah. And you think you think you could ha- instead have Cameron Orr, um, and it just seems like there's a lot of heads. props in this squad. I think Ala Latoa and Tupo are the obvious two tight heads, and then Farmasili's a development player. Um, HJH has made the transition to the other side of the scrum this year, but now, and that's mostly because of obviously Tom Robertson and Angus Bell there at loose head for the Waratahs. So Ainsley's kind of the next tight head prop. You know, in the mix, mm. um, but I think again, it's a very short-sighted pick, there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I I can understand this year if you're making these purely for depth, and you can you can drop ten people out of the squad immediately and say they wouldn't normally make it, but it's because we need extra people at that for my, those sort of times. I've just actually thought of it a bit differently. Maybe they're just trying to get Ainsley a Wallabies cap so he can't qualify for the All Blacks. That's that's the only thing I can think of because Terrell Lomax was a similar story at the Rebels and went to the, what is he, with the Hurricanes? Hurricanes, yeah. Well, he was the Highlanders, then the Hurricanes, and now he's in the AB squad. But are they worried about so, Jermaine Ainsley? Like, if we don't want to pick him, why would the All Blacks want to pick him? I, I think he might have a Kiwi passport. And the Highlanders have signed him, so yeah, that's fine. But if we're not, him down? if we don't see him as a threat, why would you waste the? Well, maybe you do see him as a threat. I mean, all he needs is one cap off the bench, and he's ineligible for the All Blacks. So I mean, you worry, yeah. I mean, you worry that somehow the development in New Zealand turns players into well, they more, do. into more than what they are because it's a story yeah. that we've seen, unfortunately. We've seen it with three or four props now. You know. Yeah. Tarval, Lomax. Tarval, Lomax. I think there was another one. Um, oh, Loosehead for the... Anyway, Loosehead for the Rebels as well, I think. And then he went on to play for the Hurricanes. Anyway, I can't remember his name. Moving on. The Where I was going to go next was, I think we're fine with the hookers. It's a fair sort of selection. You Lacey and Horton being sort of what we think would be third and fourth on the pecking order compared to Fyinger and BPA. You're Lisi potentially suffering injury. We'll see. wait to see what happens with that. Nines, I think we're pretty happy with that. McDermott, White, Gordon, and Powell. Yeah. I'd say I'm worried about Hooker, but those are the only four guys you could really pick. You pick the starting Hooker from the four out of the five super teams. Um, yeah. 
So what I was saying with only bringing back one lock from overseas, because I think you got to spend a spot bringing back Samu Karevi, don't you? Yeah. Because that's surely what you're He's thinking. If you're, that's surely what you're thinking. Because this is what I was going to bring up. If you don't have Tavita Kurandrani, um, Patea is obviously an injury risk. So if you have Patea go down, which he's prone to do, what are you going to do in your sort of centre pairings? Obviously, we've seen Samu flourish at 12, and you'd prefer to have him as your 12. Um, but he's more than competent as a cover for either position, I'd say. Yeah, you don't want to get in a position where you get the Tamua-Hodge combo. It's all you've got, then they just don't seem to get injured, but they just shuffle passes all day. I think this is the real interesting decision for Rennie. Do you go with the big 12 model with a more dynamic 13, like a what we saw with Jock at the World Cup or like your Conrad Smith kind of model where you've got more ball playing out wide but can still defend? Or do you go back to... You know, dual playmaker. Your TK kind of Patea bigger thirteen and a playmaker at twelve like Tamua, or I mean Simone's a bit of a blend of the two, and I think he's quite ideal. And I think T. Oh, sorry, Karevi would be your number one, obviously at twelve. So maybe it defines, you know, Karevi defines your destiny. If you pick him, if you're able to get him at twelve, then you know Patea can probably. He's a bit of a hybrid as well. He, he's got the passing game. He's got kind of the deft skills, but he's a bigger body. Um, and defensively, I think he's pretty handy too. So I think that's the ideal com- um, combination at the moment, isn't it? Having Karevi and then Patea, if they're both fully fit. Well, that's um, that's what really what people were saying last well. year was that red center yeah, pair was, was going to be our was going to be our Wallabies. Yeah. Until John Rock showed out, and we thought he would capable of thirteen as well. It gets a bit worrying when you think, okay, well, if we don't get Karevi and then Tamua's 12, and then we're like, oh, we're, oh TK is in there, but Taya's carrying an injury, and then suddenly it's Hodge or Pasami covering 13. It's like, this is where it becomes a bit of a nightmare. Um, and I think Hodge may have been picked there at as a centre. I know he's yeah. a utility, but I think maybe nice. they have in mind that he can play 13 on a more full-time basis. Yeah, well, but Taya's not ready. He's definitely a utility, but the way he's been playing this year and and with the wing stocks they've got and with the fullbacks, like you've got three clear fullbacks, DHP, Banks and Maddox. Obviously, any of those you could put on the wing if you really wanted to, but they're fullbacks. And then you've still got Wright, Marika, Dalgunu is a specialist winger, and you've now got James Ram. And they're all they're all wingers, right? Tom, Tom Wright's yeah. a little bit more flexible, but you don't really need the flexibility back the other ways. He's made his name on the wing. He now. can also play thirteen. Centre's the obvious, but yeah, yeah, but, but he's has not going to play him there. That's right. So, so, so Hodge is Hodge is your necessary stability coverage pick. Like you know, he can do it. You probably aren't going to have him as your first or even second choice if you had all of your squad fit and healthy. And you know that that he would. He's just there because you know he'll get you through if you can surround. The, him with the rest of the back line exactly who you want you plug him in he's probably not going to let you down but I don't, also don't think he's going to create anything in and of himself he's just not that type of player he's a support player and it's and a solid defender when he's in the right system I want you to give me your back line Leo right now if you can have Karevi if you know that he's there available for selection 9 through 15 who are you picking so going from the half back out and then the wings and full back last my choice, and I, you know I'm biased, but 
I'd have McDermott, Jock, Karevi, Patea, and then I'd probably have Reds. Marika, <laughs> Marika, and Tom Wright, and I guess it's Banks at the moment. Like if Maddox showed real flashes, but he, but to me, he didn't. I think Banks is the fullback, but even so, some good size Mad- in that back line. Yeah, like even like you could if Banks and and Maddox and in form and and DHP was still a bit hobbled. I mean, Hodge wouldn't be awful at the back. He did oh, actually do a pretty good job at the Rebels. Yeah, so I'm not DHP. I'm not totally against that. That's that's probably the spot where I think he could potentially earn his spot if these other guys that we see all the potential in don't realise that potential. I think you've just answered the question of why Jock Campbell's been left out, which, you know may change once DHP's out of the picture. I think Jock oh. Campbell's that fourth or fifth in line fullback. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether that's justified or not. If, if you look at, for me, the, the tipping, well, not so much the tipping point, it's between him and James Ram. So if you if you didn't have James Ram break out this season, I think there's room for Jock Campbell. Now, why does uh, why does Ram beat out Campbell in, in a side um, that, you know, James Ram did a lot with a little... Jock Campbell definitely had his a sort of minor breakout and looked really special at times. I think James Ram's probably a bit bigger. Kicking game, you don't really lose he's anything. A better winger. Show, show, I mean, yeah, well, a specialist win. They see him as that a might specialist be it. Winger. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, you're going to need someone who can kick, someone who's physically strong, good under a high ball, um, and you know maybe it's spreading the love around a bit and just getting another Waratahs in there. But probably just the fact that he's shone it out in a in a fairly vanilla Waratahs side. Like he was a clear in form player, whereas Jock was one of many in the Reds and, and probably had one or two games where he wasn't completely brilliant outshining people. So I think that's probably just the relative success amongst his peers in his team has has maybe hurt him a little. But you're right, he's probably a development fullback as well. And I I totally see him I think you'll be there along next the lines year. of Will Jordan. Yeah, totally. Toby, would you change anyone in that back line that Leah said? Um, I'd go with look. It's McDermott is is he's been great. I just think Nick White, with that experience against the All Blacks, I think you need that. He's a proven match winner against the All Blacks on numerous occasions. I'd I'd be picking him there, but then again, you're sacrificing the combination that McDermott and Jock have, because Jock would be my ten. James O'Connor has played out of his skin this year. Um, Newfound maturity. I know we've talked about that. Everyone talks about that, but he's just on the field. He's been, he's been great for the Reds. Um, Twelve. I think. Look, Karevi has to be picked there if he's available. Um, otherwise, I'd have Simone. But saying Karevi is available, I'd be picking him there, and I'd be picking. Yeah, I'd have to pick Patea because TK is not available. So Patea is the thirteen. The wing is very interesting. Marika is still your blindside winger. The open side's a little bit more open. I'm tempted to pick Dalgunu, but I think still Tom Wright. I think if you have, you know, a bit of erratic play from someone like Marika, you're com- you're kind of compounding that if you pick Dalgunu. Like things could go wrong very quickly. So I think Tom Wright. He's he's a bigger body, and I think he's he's earned his spot for this year, at least starting the year. You'd see Dalguna putting pressure on him, but I think Tom Wright would be my 14. And 15, it gets difficult. And I think Maddox, not quite ready. DHP, injury prone. It would either be Hodge or Banks. And I think I'd go Banks just for the upside. 
I think, for the attacking potential. I think Banks needs some time at the Wallabies' 15 position. And look, give him two or three games. If he doesn't come through, then make a change. But he needs that he needs that opportunity to see how he goes at that level. The other split for um, Tom Wright and Dagoon, I completely agree that you can compound a style of play that Marika's already bringing. Um, if you say that just in, in as attacking wingers and defensive wingers, they're both well-matched, right? They both do a really good job. Uh, potentially... Very aggressive. Yeah, potentially we see them see them matched up this week. As Wright's been playing probably more or less more yeah, um, on, left wing. Dagunu's open side. Yeah, so so maybe not. But um, like, oh, Sorry, is Dagunu blindside as well? He's... They both wear 11, I think, normally. Oh, okay. So they're yeah. both left-wingers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So potentially you don't see that directly, but where Dalgunu's benefits, like the really hard-hitting defense, like driving the player back and then getting on the ball as well, like that's a really great thing to have in a winger. But do you take that over the top of the slightly more playmaker finesse that Tom Wright has as a former 10 and the kicking yeah. game that's probably a little bit more measured? Again, yeah. with Marika in the team, you're not getting the measured kicking. So if you need an, an, a kicking winger, you're picking Tom Wright for mine. And I think Banks and Wright have a good combination as well. So that's handy. So that's what speaks, I think, to your selection with McDermott and, and James O'Connor. And then I think Karevi probably has enough experience training or at least playing alongside Patea. So I think there's He's some played alongside James O'Connor too, just on the yeah. other side of him. There's some decent combinations within that backline that we're talking about. Mm. Um, the linchpin in this all this is probably Karevi, which, I mean, we were so sad when he left. And I know he's done good things in Japan. Um, it would be great if we could get him straight back into the mix. I know I know it goes against, um, you know, changing this Gitto law is, is something that, I, you know, I wasn't particularly fond of before. But I think if you do it in a way like they have, done here with only two people that can come in i think that's just topping up positions that we need to be topped up you know lock and and probably center um at the moment, maybe hooker, yeah. but there's no one there's no one really overseas at hooker that you would be picking that's um, it's tolu? it's not a free-for-all not going to bring tolu back mm. no. no don't think yeah i'm not sure he's quite at that level where you you would require him like i think if he's a bit erratic so he's a bit up and down developing. He's not yeah. elite. He's not an elite level hooker. Like Karevi is just one of the best twelves in the world, hands down. Two two additional players without those restrictions isn't opening the floodgates in this, in terms of incentives to other players. If you want to take your chance, go overseas, make your money, and maybe get selected, by all means. But you really have to be elite in a position where there is a deficiency, I guess. So. It's it's certainly not incentivizing leaving, which was the the potential risk they had if it was open the floodgates and anyone can play no matter where you are. Then you know take your big money overseas, play well for you know Stade Francais or uh, you know anyone. Then all of a sudden you can be pulled back into the team and there's no real combinations and it just gets really messy. So I think you look at people who've got existing combinations and are standouts and you say, look, this year we need these guys and we can top them up. That's that seems to be a, a balanced way of doing it. What's your backline arch? You got any changes? No, I think that exactly what you guys picked would be happy. I'd go with your backline pretty much, Leo. Um, though, it, considering our first game starting in New Zealand, I would have Nick White um, first off. 
there. But I think um, I definitely want to see Tate starting a few games. Because obviously the rugby championship is coming back to Australia. We thought it was going to be in New Zealand. But after these two Bledisloe games in October, we should see uh, the four countries come together in New South Wales to play the, the full extent of the rugby championship, which is, is great to see. And especially considering what we've seen with Argentina being struck down with multiple players diagnosed with COVID, um, the Springboks and rugby in South Africa are only really just getting back um, to any sort of competition now. Um, it's great to see that we probably will have some international games to actually watch. Uh, so, But definitely going to be hard for the Argentinians and the Springboks especially to come in with any sort of form. They obviously have some players playing in the UK. Probably the biggest... Um, Worry actually for the Springboks is Andre Pollard um, suffered quite a serious knee injury um, playing in France uh, just this last weekend. So, would you'd imagine that he's out for the entire rugby championship? And he was probably their best player for the Rugby World Cup, a real standout that really led them. So, that definitely makes it makes it hard for the world champions to to come back in and try and show some dominance um, in Australia. So it's a different challenge for those two sides now. Like if the Springboks and the and the Argentinians haven't had the time to play together, um, you know they just need to simplify their game and, and obviously utilize existing combinations where they can. As long as the guys can get fit, it'd be interesting. Then it's it's not terrible timing. Look at the Australian perspective that we can blood some new combinations, we can try some new tactics. And while you won't necessarily be trying it against the full strength, fully equipped opposition, um, certainly no slouches. Like the Springboks coming off the World Cup aren't just going to drop off. The Argentinians always have a bit of that flair and um, almost uh, randomness in attack. Like really any of these players might put it put it to boot and, and try all sorts of things, depending on what uh, any, any rule amendments there are for this competition. So... Um, it could be quite an interesting mix where you get a young team for the Wallabies, lots of new players trying to develop new tactics, new combinations, and they get a slightly handicapped opposition to test themselves out. And even the All Blacks potentially with, with guys choosing potentially to sit out this competition based on all the all the uh, quarantining requirements. Mm. Like That's another point in the news this week, isn't it, Arch? Yeah, because um, especially for the New Zealand players, and this is even a thing coming up for Dave Rennie's spoken out about it, that if New Zealand's not going to ease their quarantine restrictions, uh, they may even struggle to have a Wallabies game here for the first um, Bleslow at the same date that they're sort of predicting because he's calling for a bit of a change there. But for New Zealand players, if the same restrictions are in place, the last game of the Rugby Championship ends uh, less than two weeks before Christmas. So players returning would technically have to be quarantined in a hotel um, under lock and key almost uh, over Christmas without seeing family. So whether that influences whether players want to opt out or whether players want to leave early, I don't know. Um, But it's interesting. It's that whole sort of how much does the game mean to us um, and how much compared to personal lives is it, especially in a year that so has a massive asterisk against any result, I think, anyway. Mm. And every, I mean, every team, every team is kind of in a strange situation this year. That the All Blacks have the new coach come in, Foster's there. We obviously have Rennie, 
South Africa limited preparation, Argentina the same. So it's yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting set of games. Hopefully they go ahead. Um, it would be a shame if this all got disrupted because of quarantine protocol. Surely, surely there's a workaround, you know, with that. If I'm the All Blacks, I'm coming coming out as hard as possible, getting all the wins up, and then all the senior guys who are really tr- want to get home leave a week or two early, and you just get to play your your B side, develop guys, and and they they just have to suck it up. But yeah, it would be interesting win, to see guys out altogether. If you win the two games in New Zealand, then it's impossible to lose the Bledisloe. That's one thing. And then, yeah, they could be just blooding some of the, the younger guys um, over in Australia. Maybe you give a mini sabbatical to some of the more experienced guys that don't want to miss Christmas. Before we actually have the final sort of thoughts on this, we need to talk about the Super Rugby final. It's the next thing up. This weekend, Reds heading down to Canberra, GIO Stadium, taking on the Brumbies. Brumbies have had a week off. The most recent word is out of Brumbies camp is Noel Alessio would have been fit to play last weekend. Um, Do we see him this weekend strapping the boots back on for the final? I think you do. Yeah, you do. I think you do. I think Kunzel, Kunzel, his performance wasn't wasn't outstanding against the Reds up in Queensland. I think if if it had been the the Brumbies have won that game, I think they would have held Noah out. But if they truly believe in him and they think that he's he's got enough fitness under his belt, then you know what's the harm in starting him? I think that could be a, a real key to this game. If if the Brumbies backline can get going against this Reds outfit and the Reds are carrying a few injuries, it could be a very different story to that. That, that happened in Suncorp. It, it can cut both ways. Like, it could be such a, a boon for the Brumbies, being that Bailey Kunzel's, you know, held held it together and had some some quality games and had some other games where, you know, didn't really stand out as much. But, you know, certainly isn't uh, the drop-off that a lot of these other sides would experience with their backup fly half. However, you bring Noah back in and he's obviously not got the match fitness. He's hopefully he's healthy and hopefully doesn't re- suffer any sort of re-injury, but is he then a target for the Reds? You've got these forwards that have been pressuring Tamua, have been pressuring Will Harrison, they've been putting these touches on these guys, you know, making sure that they're contacting the player every time he's touching the ball, even after it's left his hands. Um, you know, that that could be then a potential weak spot for the Reds to exploit. So, um, no, Lalesio's Les- only a young guy, like, don't really know... Uh, how how he'll take that? He certainly played very well uh, before his injury, and and you'd think that he's got the the mental toughness to to push through that. But it's a you know it's it's a lot of pressure in a final Super Rugby AU's first really big competition in the Super Rugby um, the fir- the first you know meaningful game in a series sense. Um, does that does that weigh on him, and and does he come through the other side strongly, or or does he go into his shell a bit, and the Reds can can try and get some superiority in the backs. Do I think th- the, the physicality of the Reds will be just key here. Yeah, right. just doing the same thing as what they tried to do to Bailey Kunzel. Do you think that this just competition by itself, putting sort of a lot more players in sort of finals football scenario, is going to be beneficial sort of down the line when we're back into sort of super rugby proper? Um, where it may not be so consistent that you get a final sort of taste. That was sort of the feel I got from just having that Rebels Reds sort of football on weekend. Like this is giving some of these players a taste of like high intensity 
um, football Knock that's out. not quite as open and um, free flowing sometimes. But you have I to think be, it's, be on for eighty. I minutes. think it's good. It's definitely good in terms of dealing with pressure as well. I think the the Wallabies, the guys in that setup, will benefit from from this as well. But next year, I mean, it's it's very hard when you say that, and you you know they're playing at probably the highest standard of Australian level you can. But then you know you get this experience and you play the Crusaders and they run all over you. Where does that leave you? I'm not sure. It's it's a difficult one. I think. It would give guys confidence that they can perform on the biggest stage. You know, if you've never tasted finals football, how do you know? Mm. You know, this is the first time the Rebels have had an opportunity to play at that level. Um, different set of scenarios, different set of um, guidelines there, obviously with COVID and less crowds and there's less pressure maybe from the crowd. But, you know, the Rebels, they handled it relatively well. And that's the first time a lot of their players would have ever experienced that. So I think there is some benefit to it. Um how much it carries over to next year, I'm not sure. Yeah, they've, they've had a lot of challenges, particularly the Rebels playing away from home. So to, to front up for the start of that game um, last week, yeah, that's that's definitely valuable experience. I'd go further to that and say that this Super Rugby AU competition, just by the fact that the games have been, for the vast majority, so tightly fought, like each game has been played like a like a finals game or like a knockout game because there's just not enough games in the season. You don't have time to lose a couple of games. You just don't recover in terms of the standings on the table. The Rebels were really lucky to make it into the finals in the end. Um, so so just by virtue of having only eight games, you know, there's, there's one team that people considered easy beats but actually challenged everyone, you know, at least once in their, in their back home and away series. Um, there was there was rarely a game where it was an absolute blowout and you felt like you you know you'd done it easy or you you were just had to give it away. So all all of these little mini contests throughout the season, guys have had to be mentally strong and and the team with the most sort of unified uh, effort have have come through and and that's what's really representative to me about the Reds and the Brumbies is just a team that don't get shaken as a group. And support each other. The the rebels and the Waratahs have a few chinks, and the force are just trying to build back into the same tier. So this competition as a whole for me has been really good for you know testing guys' mental strength and, and putting them in the pressure cooker. And I think it's diluted when yeah you get the same derbies in a Super Rugby normal competition, but when you you know you have to travel overseas and you get flogged by the Sharks or you get flogged by the Crusaders, it kind of dilutes that you you might feel a bit more worn down. Where in this competition felt like everyone was in every game. What are the key matchups this weekend, do you think? Um, one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing, I think, is a massive sort of boost as if the Reds players, especially Liam Wright, seems to have a real habit of doing this, making somehow being able to burrow his way through opposing malls to get his hands around the ball and disrupt that flow. Um, and I think if he if he continues to do that and he can just take a few of those malls from the Brumbies and stop that momentum, that, that will make a big difference in terms of that, just pushing them to change up the game plan a little bit more. Yeah, that's Nick a White huge piece. And, Nick White and Tate, for me, is a huge um, marker for who should be taking that Wallabies jersey against the All Blacks. Um, they, both, they both have a running game. I think Nick White probably imposes that less lately. Um, he's just been working through those clever little passes from the base of the ruck, whereas Tate's game is probably a little bit more diverse. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
you've got experience versus youth there, don't you? And um, it's really going to define, I think, how each of those back lines operates. And that extends through to James O'Connor with the way he's been playing versus if we see it, Noah, who, you know, lacking in match fitness, lacking in experience on the top stage, really, um, in finals football. So very interesting match up there as well. And, yeah, so front rows, I think Taniella will be a big factor here. You've got the real experience and cohesion that the Brumbies have in their front row, and they should dominate, I think, overall as a unit. But the Reds, I think, as a pack, should be able to stand up to the Brumbies. And I'm hoping the Brumbies really match the Reds' physicality. I think that's what they need to do because their set piece is great, but they're not matching the physicality across the field in terms of their forwards. I think they'll they'll struggle to get some front football. Yeah, the, I agree with those matchups. I think the back row as well, just generally you've got a couple of guys who get on the ball um, and turnovers could be key because both these teams do actually play good phase games where they, they try and hold onto the ball and really roll the forwards and throw it out the back, support again, reset, build another platform up the field. Um, they, they haven't gotten into a whole lot of kicking duels against each other. Um, and when they have, they've been sort of putting up the shorter bombs and pressuring the catcher rather than just throwing it down for territory and letting it bounce back and forth. So uh, I think guys on the ball like Fraser McWright and, and the unfortunate Will Miller, who you know has probably hasn't had enough starts this season to really show uh, everything he's capable of, but has also now seemingly been surpassed by the new young hotness, Fraser McWright. Like, there's another on-baller who's made it into the Wallaby squad when Will, Will Miller made the move down to the Brumbies to start getting a bit more... Um, starting time after being stuck behind Hooper. I think that that could be a key uh, to to disrupting the phase play of these two sides who, once they get rolling off their set piece, they can be quite dominant. Shout out to Will Miller, though, to lock down that, you know, that Brumby 7 jersey is no mean feat with the amount of competition in their back row. You know, you're not seeing much of Tom Cusack anymore because Will Miller's really imposed himself on that, that lineup. And I think... Going forward, he's he's a great prospect. I could see him in Wallaby's colours eventually as well, particularly if there was a, a couple of injuries. If Hooper were to go down, I have a feeling he'd be next in line for that seven jersey in terms of the squad. I think he'd come in. Yeah, that could be true. Uh, and the other one I'd highlight, we, we already talked about uh, Jock Campbell, but you know, as the man who's who's missed out selection and, and maybe just from over, overwhelming um, volume of, of quality players all playing in the same sort of position. Um, if he if he shows out and, and cuts up the, the Brumbies in the counter and finds a few holes there, then there's going to be a lot of Banks one-on-one, and uh, that's a good test for Banks. So while, while <clears throat> Jock Campbell's opportunities this year may be capped, Banks needs to prove that you know the, the, the next generation coming through are a tier below where he is, and that's what will get him the Wallabies' fullback spot. So tips for the game, guys. I know we sort of have been sort of highlighting over the last couple of weeks in GIO Stadium in Canberra. Brumbies are going to be hard to beat, obviously. Is anyone swayed from taking the Brumbies here? I I have to say that the Brumbies just look fit and healthy and they have their existing combinations. They've had very little turnover, particularly around the backs. Um, that's what worries me for the Reds. I, I don't know what their backline combination is going to be. And even if they do start Patea or Paisami, 
uh, or, or a couple other guys that we don't know if they're fully fit. Uh, it's been a long enough season that no doubt they're all carrying a few knocks. Brummies just look a little bit more robust and, and fit and healthy at the moment. So um, in, on their day with both teams fully fit, I think this is still probably a three-point margin, but I, I feel like the Brumbies will have dominance and it's only going to take one or two uh, knockouts for the for the Reds to really disrupt that. They're, they're sort of running quite thin now on, on backup players. I, I don't know they'll get away with it against the Brumbies like they did against the Rebels. Yeah, I think if there's those couple of injuries to the outside back, the Reds, it's going to be very difficult for them to overcome that um, given the quality the Brumbies have out wide and... Look, I, I agree, Lee. I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think three points is a great margin for it. The bookies have it at two and a half. Brumbies slight favourites there. So I'd be I'd be picking the Brumbies by three. I think it's going to be really tight. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Reds get it done if they really step up. You know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an upset by any means if they, they got the final. And I think the point is that if it's three points, that's so close that it's one play, right? It's it's one breakaway try. It's one uh, one quality counter attack with a with a poor chase that that opens things up. And the Reds are absolutely capable of turning that on um, given the right opportunity. So uh, three points, but you know three points plus or minus seven. You know that that's really the the range of outcomes that I see. I, I don't think it's a blowout to either side. I think it's a a Brumby's looking very strong, but quite easily the the Reds can grab something at the death and and win the competition. Yeah, let's go. Let's roll the dice on the Reds. As you say, I think it's a bit of a toss up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tip a bit of an upset here. We we saw the Reds almost do it um, a couple of weeks ago back down in Canberra, and it was only uh, after the buzzer penalty goal that got the Brumbies home for off the boot of Mac Hansen. So damn you, Mac Hansen. So yeah, I'll, I'll take the Reds. Mac Mason, Mac Mason, no Mac Hanson. Mac Mason is the. Where is he? He's at the Tars. No, he's not. He's playing club football in Queensland now after a oh, horror show against the Sunwolves in 2019, and that Poor guy. pulled him off. He actually is still in the Tars squad, isn't he? I don't think he is. I think he is. It was him and Will Harrison that started. Probably the year not. They've testing. signed Will Harrison. No, 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 they were contesting the number 10 jersey at the start of the year, and then Word. Mac Mason hasn't been in the, the 23 since the early rounds. I don't know what's happened. Last I heard, he was not around. Back at the Broncos. Back at the at the Storm, mate. He was at the Storm learning oh, of the Cooper Storm. Cronk. Anyway, I think that covers pretty much everything for us today. It'll be interesting to see what comes of sort of these questions over the quarantine changes in New Zealand with all black players wanting to opt out of the rugby championship and what the Springboks in Argentina are going to do, whether they're going to start announcing sort of squads together, whether they're going to start looking at getting players um, together towards some sort of training camp. Uh, Because for a lot of teams, they obviously have players in European and UK competitions trying to get them out to some sort of... um, team training is going to be very difficult for them. I would love to see a combined squad, the, the Puma box or the Springmas. I just want to see the Wallabies win. You will get your wish, Toby. Psyched for the Bledisloe, though. I mean, uh, this better go Oh, ahead. that's the Two other... In New Zealand. 
That's the huge, other huge. thing that I should highlight, that there's been a call that there will be an Australia A team put together um, to play some trials yeah. against Argentina um, before the rugby championship since they won't be able to organise any other warm-up games. So For the first time in 12 years, I think. They haven't had an Australia A since then. But so that's to give the players more game time. Well, it's probably going to be a that team helps. that's not a part of the squad at all. So it's going to team yeah. a tier below what's already been selected. So Izzy Nicerani and Tavita Karindrani. Angus Blythe. Angus Jock Blythe. Campbell. Jock Campbell. It sounds like a good team. Hamish Stewart. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll probably be bloody good. They're going to need a halfback. Lonergan. Sarobi. Lonergan. Give me Sarobi. Isaac Fines. Also, we didn't mention that there's no force players in the Wallaby squad. After yeah, being, after what, three, three people being held held back. But, I mean, the only real person I thought surprising. had a significant opportunity was Godwin. And I can't really see anyone that I would be selecting Godwin over in terms of that squad. The other guys, yeah. Barnard Stander, if Izzy Nicerani's not making the team, I can't see how Barnard Stander's making it. And in terms of hookers, um, I don't think that any of, anyone's thinking that um, Tom Horton didn't deserve sort of a spot as that fourth hooker um, after a pretty exciting sort of first first year in Super Rugby. Shout out to Jono. We still love you, Jono. Jono. <laughs> All right, boys. Thanks for stopping by. A bit of a longer one as well. Thanks all for our listeners who are sticking around. There may not be that many still still hanging around after all that drivel. Um, make sure you are following us on Instagram and Twitter at Running Rugby Podcast and at Running Rugby Pod. And make sure you've told all your friends to subscribe because some exciting times coming. International rugby is coming fast, whether it be the Rugby Championship, Bleslow, or the fabled Eight Nations kicking off in 2020. Um, it's, it's all heating up again. We'll be back next week with a Super Rugby AU champion. Until then, keep on running. Run. Your best call was at the was at the start when you're like one victorious and one Victorian. <laughs> that was genius. I love that.